hey there, welcome to The Good Complex. Uh, my name is Greg Holmes, and you know, here at The Good Complex, we have the opportunity to focus on the good by highlighting a lot of different types of conversations. And sometimes those conversations are around tricky topics and areas of disagreement where we can work to try and find common ground around the common good. Other times, the conversations is around a, maybe a, hearing a story of, of forgiveness or love or, or courage of how someone is just working to make the world a better place. But then other times, we have the opportunity to highlight people who are just doing such great work, either locally or internationally. And that's what makes me excited about our conversation today, because we have the opportunity to hear from Richard Lee from International Justice Mission. Richard, thank you so much for being with us. Thank you. Thank you. Yeah, I am. I am really excited about this conversation and I have a lot of things that I have a whole a couple pages of questions I want to ask. I probably won't get to them all. But uh, before we jump into all of that, I want to make sure everybody knows just kind of who you are and what International Justice Mission is. And so give us give us a, a brief explanation of what IJM is, what it is you guys do and, and what do you do for that organization? Yeah, once again, thanks for having me. Um, so I'm a global officer of public engagement for International Justice Mission, which will reference as IJM during out this, throughout this conversation. Um, IJM is a global nonprofit organization that works on the front lines of putting an end to violence in the form of slavery, uh, police abuse of power, or violence against women and children. And you know, one of the things that we look to do is not just focus on the victims, but actually also the governments that are meant to protect the victims and the vulnerable people in that society. So the work that we do is not just relief work and rescue, but it's also uh, working with uh, corporations and government actors in those countries to compel them to enforce uh, the laws that are on the books in their justice system. That's amazing. I just want to say right off the bat, thank you for your work. Um, and I want to hear... So, so tell me again what your title is, a global officer. Is that sort of what this is? Of, of public, public engagement. engagement. Um, now, I know that you you were, maybe still are, a minister, um, or you came out of working at a church. So what? tell me a little bit about your journey into how you got into working and doing this work. Yeah, so occupationally, I was a pastor and preacher uh, working in churches all throughout New Jersey uh, for, for many, many years. Uh, and about seven years ago, I actually made the switch from the uh, church uh, to uh, the, the nonprofit world. And so while occupationally, I'm no longer a pastor, uh, vocationally, I feel like I'm, I'm still a pastor uh, and actually am on staff in various capacities with churches uh, throughout the years. Um, but really the journey for me was learning about IJM, learning about the position that was open at the time, which at that time was a church partnerships position. So it was a sort of easy transition for me from the church to a nonprofit, um, still staying within the, the realm of the church. Um, there, there was a lot of apprehension, honestly, for me of leaving the pastorate because I was like, this is all I'm equipped to do. This is all I've known. This is all I'm good at. Do I have any sort of marketable skills outside of the church? And what I found actually was that so much of my experience in the church uh, actually did provide an opportunity for me to thrive in a nonprofit or corporate or organizational uh, uh, environment. 
Okay, so just for clarity's sake, for, our, for all of our listeners, I'd, I'd want to say this right from the beginning. So justice, the word justice, it has a couple different definitions. You know, at least locally, sure. a lot of times when that word comes up, it, it's referred a lot more to like bringing punishment to people who've broken the law, like bringing people to justice or even the criminal justice system, you know. Um, but you're, you're using the word justice in a very different way. And so within social justice, and, and I just want you to clarify that. So give us kind of a definition a little bit of when, when we say justice or the justice that you guys are, are pursuing, what is it that you're, that you're pursuing? Yeah, I mean, justice can be mean so many different things to different people. Uh, in some ways, in some circles, the, the term justice makes them think of social justice, which makes them think of a sort of uh, progressive agenda uh, that is a distraction to the gospel. Um, other places, justice can be seen as a, um, as a form of injustice of, of, you know, when you think of law enforcement, it, you can think of the heavy handed, um, you know, police abuse that is uh, prevalent in so many areas in the world. And so the, the, the definition that I use for justice is really centered around the biblical idea of justice. Um, and the biblical understanding of justice, for me, it really encapsulates two different things. One is the just punishment of those that are the perpetrators, uh, regardless of their power, uh, and the just protection, uh, regardless of vulnerability. And so what I mean by that is, even though there are, they're powerful people, if they commit the crime, uh, they cannot just get away with it. And that the, the, the punishment and the... Right. Yeah, exactly. Holding the perpetrators accountable, regardless of their standing in society. Uh, and then also the just protection of the people in the communities that are left vulnerable, uh, oftentimes from the people in power. So you mentioned a couple things. Oh, let me, let me back up real quick, because while you were talking, I didn't, I didn't want to interrupt you. You used a word that I just want to make sure we, we can define well for, for all of our listeners. And you used the word gospel. And I just want to, mm. um, because like, if people are familiar with the Bible, I come from a faith background. You obviously come from a faith background, but not everyone listening is. Yeah. And so um, if you were to open the Bible, there's like the four gospels. Those are the four stories. And like, I don't think that's what you're talking, you know, like not talking about like right. the, the gospels of Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John. So just for clarity's sake, when you use that term, yeah. um, what, what do you, ex what does that mean? Yeah, well, the gospel uh, term just actually means good news. And so it really is just the, the sort of core tenets of Christianity, the core tenets of faith in Christ. And uh, when I use the word gospel, I really, uh, really mean it to be the faith expression of, of followers of Jesus. So early on when you, when you were talking about what IJM was doing uh, or, or does do, you mentioned a couple things, but I want to dive in a little bit more and hear about, like, so, so for us in America, you know, if we're looking at the news, we're mostly going to see local news and a lot of national news and debates and, you know, that type of stuff. And maybe a handful of things going on internationally that really kind of, you know, break through and get it into our feed, you know, and, but, but a lot of the things, at least from my understanding, that you guys are coming around aren't necessarily things that are making it into our news feed, you know. Um, 
what are the things, uh, what types of injustice are you guys really combating? And what are the big, like educate us a little bit, like what's happening in the world right now that really needs um, organizations like, like IJM? Yeah, so in so many areas throughout the world, there are uh, sort of environments that are created uh, by the imbalance of power and poverty, right? So you have people in power that are next to people in poverty, and it creates an environment where enslavement and violence can run rampant. And so the form of this oftentimes is, is human trafficking, forced labor slavery, violence against women and children, uh, and then also police abuse of power. And so what you're, you're experiencing is a, uh, a term like impunity, right? Legal impunity, where people can commit crimes on vulnerable people and there are no, uh, there's no threat of prosecution. Uh, brothels will operate openly on street corners. Uh, brick factories and rice mills will uh, regularly and, and, and brazenly uh, force people into uh, slavery on their premises. And there's really no threat of prosecution because the police don't intervene. And so IJM throughout 20 years of our existence has really been working toward working with the government and local law enforcement and justice systems to be able to say, we, we know where the cases of slavery are, we know where the cases of violence are, and we're compelling the justice systems, not just to intervene in individual cases, but actually repair the process through which that protection is enacted. You used the word a few times just now as you were talking. You talked about slavery and enslavement. What is, what is slavery? I think I think that for many of us, we, we can we can kind of hear sometimes that um, slavery is still a, a modern day issue, and sometimes because we don't see it in our in our everyday life, we think well, it's hard to even imagine what that looks like. So what what does what does slavery look like worldwide here in twenty twenty two? And how big is yeah. this and how big is that problem? Yeah, so the as as an, an American, uh, I hear the word slavery and think uh, initially of, you know, the transatlantic slave trade and think about, you know, the abolishment of slavery that has happened in uh, the United States and that the the sort of chattel slavery that we think about from the 1800s uh, is not the, the same sort of understanding of slavery in modern day. And so the modern day form of slavery often looks uh, very much like employment, but it is actually based on uh, a coercion and based on force. Um, and so the, the reality is that uh, there, the, the modern form of slavery is often started through a financial arrangement. And so a family... Uh, looking to feed their family or get medicine or, you know, just get a loan, a simple loan of $20 will oftentimes turn to the powerful and wealthy people in the community. And the wealthy owner will just say, yeah, sure, here, here's $20 and just come to my factory and work it off. And, but the, the, the reality is that that loan is actually just a trick. It's a ruse to be able to create a false sense of obligation. And so through fines and fees and interest that the person is unable to actually calculate on their own, uh, they wake up one day, many, many years later and realize that the, the original loan of $20 has now ballooned into essentially a lifetime and even generational 
lifetime of indenturedness to the slave owner. And so you're looking at families in factories, you're looking at uh, boys on boats in lakes, you're looking at men who are trafficked across um, borders in Southeast Asia. And a lot of times what ends up happening is you're, re you're removing these people from their culture, you're removing people from their uh, familiarity, and for even sometimes from their language. And so they have nowhere to the, go. You're disempowering. Yeah. Yeah. You're, you have nowhere to right. turn. You're disempowering them completely uh, in these communities where we where we work. Yeah. Um, I'm gonna here at the end. I'm gonna ask a question. I, I, you can just sort of think about it. It's like it, to me. I think working, knowing those stories. If you were in this day to day, it would just be overwhelming and depressing. And so I want to get. Here at the end, I want to see just kind of how you're doing and see if you're encouraged or not, or if you're if you're hearing good things, you know, like that kind of stuff. But you know, we hear we hear stories like that, and that in and at least in some of the things that I've read and heard, it's like it's not just like isolated things like this this company is doing this or whatever. It's like in some cultures, or like there, there's whole industries that are built off of this, right? And you're not talking about just like a person here or a person there, but hundreds or thousands of people in certain you know in certain communities or whatever that are just um, yeah. enslaved and yeah it's it's yeah. heartbreaking yeah the current estimates are are 40 million people worldwide are currently enslaved um, and then you know the 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 number of people that in these communities are are left without the benefits and the protections of the law right so uh, sort of left vulnerable uh, is in the billions um, and so really you think about the the experience that maybe you or I will have in our sort of suburban you know American life it, you know it's it's just a totally different experience for so many people uh, throughout the world well I want to I want to shift gears uh, because there's another reason I want to talk to you because I know that you coming out of kind of church ministry and stuff like that, I know that one of your roles, you are kind of a liaison a little bit between IJM and churches and church leaders and kind of uh, getting um, sort of support for IJM's work and stuff like that from the faith community, from the Christian faith community. And I'm, and I'm sure, and I know that there's other faith communities that are supporting IJM's work, you know, that kind of stuff. But your background and mine are from a Christian background. Um, and one would think that the work that you guys are doing are so in line with what Jesus has called us to do in the New Testament and that kind of stuff that it would just be a no-brainer that churches would be all supportive. But I've been around churches long enough to know that that may not always be the case. Um, and I would right. just, I'd love to hear your experience, you know, and, then, and working with, with IJM, talking to talking to a Christian faith communities, like how does that go? Because one of the things that, you know, here at the Good Complex we want to do, we want to highlight good, but also since, you know, a lot of us in, in leadership here at, at Good Complex are coming from a Christian faith background, we also want to be pretty open-handed to say, you know, this is an area where we haven't done that great as Christians and we need to do better. And we just need to be real open and talk about that. And so, um, I'd just love to hear your experience, you know, and, and talking with churches and church leaders about this. Yeah, I mean, it's certainly um, overwhelmingly, I think, when you look at the teachings of Jesus, when you look at the person of Jesus and what he was about, I mean, so much of Jesus's ministry was actually going and ministering to the most vulnerable people in that society, people who were shunned, people who were, you know, outcast, and Jesus actually stepping in on the front lines 
to the risk of his reputation of, of actually ministering and caring for the most vulnerable. And so, you know, recognizing just the, the person of Jesus, you would think a follower of Jesus would be one that would also embody that same sort of commitment uh, to the most vulnerable people. Uh, you know, but, you know, uh, if I'm being honest, it's uh, sometimes it's a mixed bag, you know. Uh, I've, I've actually been in settings where I have, uh, you know, been sort of giving a compelling message of justice to, uh, you know, not just church members, but actually like church leaders and have just received a reception that uh, from them that was um, that was offensive to me in some ways. You know, people who would just say, well, you know, you know, what about evangelism? It's all about evangelism. So let's and stop the thinking there. What do you mean by that word? Yeah. 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 So that the evangelism is basically, you know, the the telling of one's beliefs to, uh, you know, to bring that person over to to your side of belief. And so in the Christian context, it would be telling people the the, the good message of Jesus and trying to get them to become Christians. And I, listen, I'm all for evangelism and I'm all for, you know, telling people uh, authentically about who Jesus was uh, and who he is. Um, the but the the experience that i've uh, i've had with some of these church leaders is um almost a dismissal of anything that would improve someone's earthly existence so freeing them from slavery you know creating a justice system that you know justly protects the people dismissal of all of those earthly benefits uh at the cost of you know their their eternal life ramifications. So, you know, believing that, that only what happens in eternity does not, uh, is, is what matters. And anything that we do here is just, you know, window dressing. Um, and you know, Greg, it, it makes me think of a, a, a situation where I would think that these people in their sort of idealistic mind would say, it's all about preaching Jesus. It's all about telling people about, uh, the good news of Jesus. And so, you know, you have this sort of absurd picture where we would go to a brothel where girls are being trafficked for sex and, and forced to have sex with paid customers dozens of times a day who are being held in brothels against their will and saying, Jesus loves you and he's your savior and he wants to give you freedom from your sin. And I think all of us can hear that girl saying, well, what about the freedom from my slavery? What about the, the, the punishment of, you know, my perpetrators? What about the, the saving from my enslavement? Uh, and so whether you're talking about a girl in a brothel, a family in a factory, a boy on a boat, you can hear the echoing of that and saying, what, in some senses, what good is the gospel? What good is your God? if he does not also free me from my slavery and provide justice uh, for me and for my perpetrators. There, there's a whole lot there. Um, and I think that when we, th when we think about um, our, our method and our message, um, when, when those two things get separated apart, our, our message just sort of falls apart, right? Um, right. I wonder too if within sort of um, Christian circles, you know, at least here in America, a lot of social justice issues have been so highly um, politicized um, 
Do yeah. you run into that as a barrier that people have sort of put a lot of these issues in maybe into a political camp that maybe they don't agree with that political camp and now that's a barrier? Like, or do you see, or do you see Christians able to sort of rise above their political things and say, you know, regardless of political affiliation, these are issues that we need to care about and we need to sort of move the ball forward and come around the needs of the most vulnerable. Yeah, I, I, I think that that's really at uh, the core of so many issues that we're dealing with mm. in our society, in American society, in a global society, in our Christian you know, worldview, uh, from where I come from. There's so many uh, questions around this sort of thing, right? When you have this hyper-politicized, polemical, you know, tribalistic um, uh, society that we're living in, in America— and you know where every sort of issue becomes a political stance, it becomes difficult to even engage in a conversation or to engage in an action or engage in an activity without having to sort of defend yourself or attack someone else or you know to you know put you know put a, a flag on your on your front lawn sort of a thing on uh you know like a political yard sign, um, and so yeah I think it's difficult. But what I have found helpful is if we can separate the conversation that is going on between CNN and Fox News, if we can separate the conversation that is happening in, in print and in, you know, maybe Thanksgiving tables and, you know, like all of these conversations that are so hypercharged with intensity and isolate the people that are at, who are left vulnerable in whatever situation. So whether you're talking about, you know, unborn children, whether you're talking about uh, racial injustice, uh, whether you're talking about police abuse in this country, or whether you're talking about enslavement, find the vulnerable people in those situations. Because time and time again, we referenced this before, Jesus, when there was a conversation going on between leaders and saying, well, what is the right thing to do? What is the, the, the proper thing to do? And how could he do this? Jesus sort of stepped over those conversations and he said, I'm going to find the vulnerable people. I'm going to find the oppressed. And I'll let you guys sort this out, but that's not the main thing. The main thing is taking a step towards uh, oppressed people. And I will say in every sort of topic and every conversation, there are people that are being oppressed. Uh, you know, right now we're we're in the in the throes of uh, this invasion of Ukraine by Russia, uh, and you know, one of the things like the conversation so much was about the decision of Putin to invade and the decision of NATO countries to not put troops on the ground and the decision. And then the narrative, I'm I'm thankful, has become about the people of Ukraine, and. It's not about the political leaders. It's not about the political stances. It's actually about the people that are left vulnerable in these situations. And so my encouragement to every, anyone listening is, you know, if you're looking to engage in this issue and don't want to get involved in the political sphere, just take a step towards the vulnerable people and, and let, the, let the talking heads sort out. The I rest. think that is so helpful because we see that certainly in all kinds of cultural conversations that we, we can talk about things in theoretic theoretics or a lot of um, 
shoulds and and woulds and, and, and those types of things and what types of decisions need to be made sort of theoretically. Um, we certainly see that within, you know, within my context of the local church and conversations around LGBTQ, um, uh, conversations that might come up like in politically charged conversations around race or whatever. And, and there would be, if there's not personal relationship with folks, if there's not um, conversation with real people and they're just sort of theoretics, then we can get really, really dogmatic about things and and just see people as um, as irrelevant to, to our to our sort of policy or, or whatever. Yeah. 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 I mean, if I have a strong stance on a particular subject, let's take you know um, you know the racial mm-hmm. injustice with you know cops right. and, and 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 black youth, right? If I have a strong stance on one of those issues, and I haven't talk to a black person who's been pulled over by the police. And I would say, if I haven't talked to a police officer who has walked the streets, then like in some ways, like how do I get off being able to have such a strong view on this subject? Well, really, I'm probably just getting my information based on what I've read or what I've seen, but I've not lived into the experience of people. And so, you know, I mean, you talk about LGBTQ and, you know, as as Christians, I think, you know, there, there's a, a pretty wide range of opinions of, of theology on this issue. And I would say how many of those people that are working through the theology of this have relationships and have journeyed with uh, people that have struggled with this, that are engaging with this. And, you know, whether it be, you know, about somebody who's a different race than me or whether it's somebody with a different orientation than me, you know, all of my my viewpoints should be um, not only tied to their experience, but it shouldn't only be tied to theology without an uh, understanding of the expression uh, and experience that, that, that people are that are going through. And, and you see this again, we go back to, you know, what we see in the Bible, like Jesus's ministry was with the people. It was not a theoretical uh, ministry. It was actually hands-on, you know, like, you know, touching and healing the people uh, that he was ministering to. Okay. I want to go back to the question I alluded to just, just a couple minutes ago. And when you are in y'all's work and you're dealing with such heavy and quite honestly, just depressing things and facts. You talk about this, the millions of people who are enslaved and you, and you, and you're sort of in those stories all the time. Um, are you, does it get you down? Um, are you, I'm sure it does to some degree, but are you, um, are you also encouraged? Like, or do you see good things happening or do you have some, some good news for us? So like when people get engaged in this, do you see, do you see good come out of it? Yeah, I mean, of course, right? We can't not be moved by those stories. And in fact, if you're not moved by those stories, you wouldn't join the, you know, a nonprofit organization that works there because, I mean, it's definitely not for the pay, right? You don't go to a nonprofit for the pay. Uh, But yeah, I mean, everybody is moved by these stories. And, uh, you know, I think that there's a managing of your hope, right? A management of your, your faith. Right to use the generic sense, and uh, you know I think specifically IJM we do sort of two things that I think really go to helping our staff uh, manage their hope. And the first thing is that we pray uh, as um, 
you know, we just spend a lot of time in prayer about the work that we do. Uh, in fact, we gather together at 11 o'clock every day uh, as a staff to be able to pray together for the work that we're doing. And so we'll be able to hear from, you know, different people that are expressing different requests, but we're also celebrating the, the victories. And that's really the second thing. So one is, is sort of praying and, and, and bringing the burden uh, emotional, physical, psychological burden to God through prayer. The second thing would be to just remind ourselves of the steps and and you know the 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 bricks that are being moved from one pile to another on the side of good and the side of justice, right? I mean, so you have this overwhelming forty million people that are being uh, enslaved throughout the world at this time. And the way that you can free those people is be reminded of the individual freedoms that are taking place. And so we, we tell the story of justice. We tell the story of freedom. We tell the stories of victory that keep us going because we're seeing, uh, in some ways, the flywheel of justice being turned every single day. You know, when you hear the early stories of IJM uh, 25 years ago, the, the, I mean, the there were no ju Christian justice organizations that were working to, you know, compel governments to act uh, on the side of justice. There were no organizations like this. And so over the 25 years, it's just a matter of relentlessly spinning that flywheel case by case by case, person by person by person. And now we're seeing this actual global momentum where corporations and governments and NGOs and, and churches and people are getting behind the side of justice, that the world is turning to the side of justice. That's amazing. Well, let me, that leads right to the next question, and that is if people are engaging in this conversation and they're watching this and they think, you know, I, I, I want to help out, I want to support, or I want to, what would you have them, what would you have them do? Yeah, I'd, so I'd say two things. One is find out what you care about. And, you know, chances are it is something that you're seeing come up in your news feeds because the algorithm works. And so, you know, they're going to see this issue come up over and over again. And so find out what, what really impacts you. And I would say um, volunteer your time or give your money to organizations that are working for that work. So if you are looking to end slavery in India, um, there are a bunch of organizations that you know, would be working on the front lines to be able to do that. And I would investigate those, you know, organizations. IJM is one of them. And so I would say, rather than you quitting your job, moving to India, starting something, the chances are somebody's already done that 10, 15, 20 years ago. So, so support them and get involved with that organization. Um, the second thing I would say is take a step, right? This is what we talked about taking a step towards a vulnerable person, a person in your community. It could be an exchange student. It could be uh, a, you know, someone of a different race, a minority race in your community. It could be someone within your church environment that is you know, overlooked, or you know, it could be uh, someone that doesn't have a community built around that particular demographic. It could be uh, someone who's raising a child as a single parent. Like, I mean, there's just so many oppressed and, and vulnerable people um, and, and, and so I would say, you know, yes, find those organizations, find those causes, you know, volunteer your time and give money, but also personally, just take a step, 
take a step towards someone because there is someone in your life that you go to work with and that you, you know, uh, you know, live in your community with in your neighborhood that is uh, probably more uh, vulnerable than you are. And so take a step, help them out and see where that lifestyle of taking that step leads you. Yeah, I think, yeah. I know so many people that did kind of that second thing that you mentioned first. And once they do that, um, you know, they get involved yeah. with a refugee family just sort of helping out or they get if, if, if in their community immigration is a big thing or single parent or, or whatever. And you get involved. It's amazing what um, those stories and that personal relationship, it does sort of it changes you. And you can't like you can't unhear what you hear and you can't, you know, um, it's very, very difficult to just walk away. And so uh, those personal yeah. relationships mean mean a ton. Well, Richard, I just... Yeah, can I say yes, one please, more thing yeah, about please. that, Greg? You know, I, I think in particular right now in our society, people want to do that, but they may feel apprehension because they're afraid, if we're going to just put a fine point on it, they're afraid they're going to say the wrong thing. They're going to be judged for it and maybe like filmed and canceled <laughs> and like fired, right, right. right? For just doing like you know, saying the wrong thing or entering into that space wrong. And I would say like as a minority, as a person of color in, 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 in America, and I would say as minorities go, Asian Americans are probably underrepresented in the sort of racial narrative. Um, and so I would say that the times that people have expressed to me that their desire to sort of learn about my experience and it, it you know whether they say it the correct way or incorrect insensitive way that's that's fine the the important thing is the step is the intention and the heart behind it and that you know like we can work on language we can work on sort of like correcting different understandings i don't expect you to have a full appreciation of the korean american experience but uh, what we do appreciate, what I do appreciate is the heart behind the steps. And so you may stub your toe, you may trip, you may, you know, fall down and that's fine. So long as the heart behind it, uh, is sort of undergirding that interaction. And so I would encourage people who are f afraid to go and talk to a police officer, uh, or go to, to, you know, a black male, uh, youth who is, you know, afraid of being pulled over by the cops. Like, you know, you can enter in that conversation, I believe with, a good intentions uh, and with an, an, an a willingness to learn and to hear the experiences. Yeah, of and I think it's safe to say that the vast majority of times that's going to go really well. You know, like you might stub your toe or what, but just as you said, like when you're on the receiving end of it, yeah. if someone comes in with with gen with genuine humility and just a desire and yeah. and and a willingness to apologize when they do overstep or whatever, that the vast majority of the time it's going to go great. You know, that the, that the, the yeah. times that you hear when it doesn't, that those are, those really are outlier um, experiences and right. what's, and so we can't, it's, it's a little bit unfair to look at the, some of those outlier things and say, well, that would happen to me every time. Say, well, probably not. Um, what's, what's really yeah. needed is just the courage to, to step out and engage. Yeah. Yeah. Well, and if you find yourself yelling and pointing your finger, that's probably the wrong Yeah, that's thing. right. That's on us. That's right. That's what we did wrong. <laughs> well, Richard, I just, I can't thank you enough for the time you gave here for the Good Complex, but mostly thank you for your work uh, for the, with the International Justice Mission. Um, it, it is really, really good work. And I know that it's hard work and I know that it's got to feel like it's 
one step forward, two steps back, or it's a, a million steps to go and we're just taking one step at a time, you know, like that kind of thing. But um, it's good work. And I really hope that, that someone watching this um, gets compelled to like take that step that you just mentioned and maybe support organizations like IJM. And I appreciate your humility too and, and saying there are other organizations out there that are trying to combat this. This is a this is not just a, a Christian thing or whatever. Like this is a humanity thing. And this is, um, injustice is something we all need to, we need to care about. And so um, thank you for your work. Thank you for your time today. And thank you for everybody who joined us here for this conversation. I hope this was instructive and I hope it was encouraging and all those things. And um, so we'll see you next time on The Good Complex. And until then, um, focus on the good.